It was nearly 3,000 years ago, long time, nearly 3,000 years ago, when King David wrote by divine inspiration, the fool had said in his heart, there is no God. Psalm 14 and verse 1, as well as Psalm 53 in verse 1. It was nearly 2,000 years ago when the Apostle Paul, by divine inspiration, told us how since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes have been clearly seen through his creation. And how they are totally undeniable. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and following. And in that same text of Romans 1, 18 and following, after the Apostle Paul says that, he goes on to say that despite that, despite how God's invisible attributes have been clearly seen, they're, they're inarguable, they're undeniable through what God has made, he says, but you know what? My paraphrase. He said, ungodly and unrighteous men are still, they're still going to suppress that truth. It's going to happen. They're going to seek to suppress that truth. And then there's a process that follows. They will exchange the truth of God for a lie. They will become futile in their thoughts. They will become foolish in their sin-darkened hearts because they no longer choose to allow the light of the knowledge of God to shine in their hearts. And then finally, he says, they'll profess to be wise, having done all of this. All the while, having become complete and total fools. God said that. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. And, and not just like 3,000 years ago with, with David. And not just simply like 2,000 years ago with the Apostle Paul, although they were divinely inspired. But just a few weeks ago. I was doing some research on the internet, and I came across the same thing, the same thing. It's interesting how some of today's professors of their own wisdom, their own intelligence, <laughs> those who will profess this intelligence, but at the same time they do so by denying the existence of God altogether. It's funny how those same people are fulfilling the very scriptures they deny. Because they're acting as foolish as those that were written about thousands of years ago. I don't remember exactly what I was researching at the time, and it's probably because this just blew my mind when I saw it. But you know how sometimes when you're researching things on the internet, and that little box will come up when you Google something that says people also ask, and there are related questions there? Well... I come up with this, people also ask, it was listed there on the internet, when was the earth discovered? Okay. And I thought, well, for kicks and giggles, I, I'll try it. Why not? When was the earth discovered? And this is what it said. Earth formed around 4.54 billion years ago. Approximately one-third the age of the universe by accretion from the solar nebula. 
Now, don't let those words that we don't use very often get in your way. Accretion simply means growth or expansion. Solar nebular is the interstellar gas cloud. In other words, fancy words for the Big Bang. Okay? If you want to boil it all down, that's what it comes down to. Okay? Notice how it's stated. Earth formed around 4.5 billion years. It doesn't say may have. It doesn't say might have. It doesn't say possibly. It's a fact. Earth formed. Okay. Under that same heading of people also asked was another question. Who was the first person on Earth? So I thought, well, for kicks and giggles, we'll see what happens. So I clicked on it. I want you to watch this closely. <coughs> this was the answer. Adam, according to the creation myth of the Abrahamic religions, he was the first man. In both Genesis and Quran, Adam and his wife were expelled from a garden of Eden for eating the fruit of the tree, the knowledge, good and evil. Now, I want you to think about this. <clears throat> Did you notice their wording? Did you notice back when they were talking about the earth being 4.54? It was a fact. Earth formed. Boom. Not according to the theory, according to what we've come to believe, according to the, it's a fact, boy. But, but did you notice that this is worded according to the myth of the Abrahamic religions, Adam was the first man. It went on to say, in both Genesis and Quran, Adam and his wife were expelled from a garden of Eden for eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I thought it was interesting. Did you notice it doesn't say the Bible? List the Quran as a book, but it won't even mention the Bible. In both Genesis and Quran, Adam and his wife were expelled from not the Garden of Eden, a some Garden of Eden. And I thought, wow, this is the world that our young people are growing up in. They get on the internet to research something, and right off, right off the bat, they're hit with. Everything you believe is a myth. It's not true. The fact is, you know, billions of years, really? But that's the world they're growing up in. Now, over the past few weeks and months, <coughs> I have made several different mentions of some of the medical and scientific facts and instructions contained in the scriptures. Facts and instructions which mere mortal men, at the time they wrote them, had absolutely no natural way of knowing. They had no natural way of discovering. Technology had not advanced enough for them to discover the things that they wrote. They themselves, mankind himself, did not discover for hundreds, and in some cases thousands of years later, after these men wrote about certain things, Man took thousands of years into the future to actually figure out why. I've talked about medical and scientific facts and instructions and observations that prove beyond any shadow of even the slimmest doubt of the most foolish of fools that God exists. That his Bible, his word, is divinely inspired in every single word. Medical and scientific facts in the Bible that were written thousands of years, in some cases before man had any way of knowing 
the truth about them that could have saved hundreds and in some cases thousands of lives during that time if people had just listened to God. Don't forget that when we conclude tonight's service, by the way. Scientific facts that could have saved hundreds of thousands of lives had people only paid attention to them. Things like, and my favorite, the one I always go to, my go-to. Everybody's got a go-to verse, right? My go-to on this. I love it, especially where Columbus Day just was. In Isaiah 40, verse 22, Isaiah said, God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. 2,000 years before Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492, and everybody thought the earth was flat, or that was the prevailing thought at least. 2,000 years before that, God said, hey, the earth's round, folks. Boy, that's my favorite. But I've mentioned others. In a sermon back on August 16th, I discussed at length how in the mid-1800s, so-called labor fever was killing pregnant women by the thousands in Europe. If I remember the figures correctly, it was six out of, it was six out of every, uh, yeah, I don't remember the figures exactly. Um, but it was, I think it was six out of every hundred or 18 out of 100, but there was a lot of women that were dying from labor fever. The vast majority of which their lives could have been saved if physicians had only trusted and obeyed God's instructions in Numbers chapter 19, verses 11 through 19, which was written 3,000 years or so before they could have had any clue why. You might remember the sermon where it talked about washing their hands under running water, and we had these doctors that were performing autopsies and then going and performing, uh, uh, they were going to these pregnant women and they were, were checking on them, and it was like they didn't wash their hands in between, and so the transfer of germs. And so in the mid-1800s, one doctor finally got the bright idea, hey, maybe we have to wash our hands. You think? God said that 3,000 years earlier and basically gave a, gave a prescription for lye soap, as it were. In Numbers chapter 19, 11 through 19, they had no clue back in Numbers why they were supposed to do this, but folks, it's, it's about obedience. It's not about why. Sometimes God says things that we don't understand why he says them, but God's got his reasons, so we need to do them, because God's smarter than we are. If God's not smarter than we are, then why are we here? It's not about why. It's about obedience. In that same lesson, I chronicled how in the late 1700s, Norway, the country of Norway, was struggling with a leprosy epidemic a leprosy epidemic of incredible proportions. Also talked about how, although it would be another hundred years before Dr. Hansen identified red bacteria as the agent for leprosy, this epidemic was brought under control when people finally decided to listen to God's quarantine regulations written 3,000 years earlier in Exodus 5 and 13, when they finally took them to heart. People, it's not about why. It's about obedience. When God says do it, he's got his reasons. Do it. Let me add to that just this one. In 1846, wasn't all that long ago, was it? 1846 in the overall scheme of time, 16,000 people died of cholera in London alone as the Black Plague swept across Europe. Most of those lives could have been saved if people had only trusted and obeyed what God had said. 
3,300 years earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 23, 12 and 13, because in God's great love, he had instituted instructions that would have prevented just such outbreaks. There are a number of valuable resources out there, many of them at apologeticspress.org. I encourage you to check that website out. But they give many additional scientific and medical facts and instructions, again, which people of their day had absolutely no way of knowing. They had no way of figuring it out on their own. They did not have the resources. There is absolutely no logical explanation for those men writing those things down except that God told them to. That's it. There's no other answer. They could not have known these things. Nor would they, in some cases, for thousands of years. And that all proves, once again, the point of this morning's and tonight's lesson. It pr proves the eternal existence of God, and it proves the divine inspiration of the Scriptures, that God inspired every word, that God told them these things in advance. And I hope that every one of our young people in particular take notes, and probably you're going to have to go back over the live streams this morning because there's a lot of facts going to come at you here real shortly. And I hope as you go on and you advance in high school or as you advance into college, as you advance in your life, I hope that you never forget some of the things you're going to see this morning. When people tell you that God does not exist, when people tell you that the Bible is outdated, people tell you all of those things, I hope you never forget some of these facts that you're going to hear this morning. If I may read to you from a couple of paragraphs Brother Kyle Butt has written that is posted on the Apologetics Press website. Please listen. Old Testament food laws exhibit knowledge of bacteria, food preparation, and pathogen awareness that surpass anything from cultures contemporary with the ancient Israelites. Furthermore, there is no evidence that the knowledge inherent in the laws was or could have been gathered experimentally by the Israelite nation. Thus, the Israelites could not have copied these laws from the nations around them, nor did they arrive at them through their own experimental scientific research. They just didn't have the means to figure out why. Where then did such amazing, where then did such amazingly accurate laws originate? Moses repeatedly acknowledged that the laws came from the Lord. How many times do you read in, in, in Moses' life where he says, the Lord commanded you, the Lord said, the Lord this, the Lord that. It's, it, Moses tells us that repeatedly. These laws, for example, included a prohibition of eating pork, a meat that is known to be more susceptible to contamination than others, such as beef or mutton. They also prohibited the consumption of the bat an animal with an extremely high probability of carrying diseases harmful to humans. The fact that animals in the water had to have scales and fins, this, this is a big one. The fact that animals in the water had to have scales and fins to be eaten would have helped the Israelites avoid bacterial-laden oysters and poisonous or venomous fish 
such as the blowfish and the lionfish. In addition, warnings against handling and eating reptiles would have cut down on the spread of salmonella since the vast majority of reptiles carry that bacteria. Now let me expand just a little on a few of these. In another extended application on that same website, this is something I didn't know. I knew it was dangerous, but I didn't know it was this dangerous. The blowfish can contain toxins in its ovaries, liver, and other organs that is highly potent and deadly. This toxin, called tetradoxin, tetradotoxin, tetradotoxin, I knew I could do it. This blows my mind. This toxin is thought to be 1,250 times more deadly than cyanide. Apologetics Press website, check it out. 160,000 times more potent than cocaine. Tetrodotoxin, look it up. A tiny amount of it can kill 30 grown adults. This is in the blowfish. But you see, with God's prohibitions, the blowfish wouldn't have been eaten. The Mosaic instructions concerning edible fish would have helped the Israelites avoid the dangerous blowfish, as well as danger posed by eating other toxic sea creatures, such as certain jellyfish, sea anemones, and octopi. God knew what he's talking about. God told them, don't eat these things. Here's what you can eat, here's what you can't. They had no way, they, they couldn't, they didn't have a way to discover this short of God telling them. A 12-page FDA tract warns, oysters are sometimes contaminated with the naturally occurring bacteria, Vibrio vulnificus, which cannot be detected by smell or sight. They look like other oysters. Can't tell if they got it or not. Eating raw oysters containing Vibrio vulnificus is very dangerous for those with pre-existing medical conditions. He goes on in that report to say, 50% of people with pre-existing health conditions who eat those oysters infected with that die. But God's prohibitions on what to eat and what not to eat would have prevented them from coming in contact with them at all. Turn to me in your Bibles this morning, Exodus, uh, Leviticus chapter 11, please. Leviticus 11. I want to show you something. Leviticus chapter 11. After listing clean animals, in other words, the ones they could eat, and unclean animals, the ones they couldn't eat, in Leviticus 11, I want us to notice particularly, and you can read the whole chapter later, but I want us to notice particularly for our thoughts this morning, what God lists as unclean animals that they were not to eat, beginning at verse 29. Look at verse 29. These also shall be unclean to you among the creeping things that creep on the earth. The mole, the mouse, and the large lizard after its kind. The gecko, the monitor lizard, the sand reptile, the sand lizard, and the chameleon. 
Now, you can certainly see as you look through that list that alligator would be included, large sand reptiles, those sorts of things. These are unclean to you among all that creep. Whoever touches them, now watch this, whoever touches them when they are dead shall be unclean until evening. Anything on which any of them falls when they are dead shall be unclean. Whether it is any item of wood or clothing or skin or sack, whatever item it is in which any work is done, it must be put in water and it shall be unclean until evening. Then it shall be clean. Now, notice that. And then notice this. Another excerpt from Brother Kyle Bible, Apologetics Press. In summarizing a 2003 CDC report, Leon McLeod noted this. As high as 90% of reptiles, 90% of reptiles are natural carriers of salmonella bacteria, harboring strains specific to reptiles without any symptoms of disease in the reptile. You know how today we can be carriers uh, of COVID, right, with no symptoms and, and all of those sorts of things, asymptomatic? Well, up to 90% of reptiles are known to carry salmonella with no visible effects. You can't look at a, this crocodile and say, wow, he's got salmonella. There's no, there's no way to tell. There's no difference. It doesn't hurt them. There's no symptoms. In light of such evidence, Brother Butt continues, the prudence of the Mosaic prohibition to eat or handle reptile carcasses is clearly evidence. Of further interest is the fact that reptil reptilian salmonella contamination can occur without even touching a reptile. In other words, you've got this reptile that's got salmonella. You don't have to actually touch the animal to get it from them. There's other ways to get salmonella from this reptile without ever touching the reptile. He continues. If a person touches something that has touched a reptile, the bacteria can spread. The Association of Reptilian and Amphibian Veterinarians made this statement. Salmonella bacteria are easily spread from reptiles to humans. Humans may become infected when they place their hands on objects, including food items, that have been in contact with a stool of reptiles in their mouth. Think about that. And so when you compare what they just said, that if you touch something that has come in contact with the mouth of the stool of a reptile, and, and you, you touch this later, you can still get salmonella. You don't have to touch the animal. When that statement is compared with the instructions in Leviticus 11, verses 32 through 47, the astounding accuracy of the Old Testament regulation is again confirmed. Let's look again. Right here, in just a few verses in Leviticus 11, verses 32, which I already read, through verse 34. Look at it again. Anything on which any of them falls, that is, these reptiles, when they are dead, shall be unclean, whether it's an item of wood or clothing or skin or sack, whatever item it is in which any work is done, it must be put in water. If one of these dead reptiles falls on something, it's unclean. Don't touch it. Why do you suppose God said that? Well, as we've discovered as recently as 2007... Well, it's because you can get salmonella if they've touched it and you touch it. That's why. But, of course, they didn't know that 3,000 years ago. But God still told them. And it shall be unclean until evening. Then it will be clean. Any earthen vessel 
into which any of them fall, you shall break. And whatever is in it shall be unclean. If they fall, if these, these lizards, geckos, all these things, if they fall into this, this cooking pot, you've got to get rid of it. Why? Because salmonella could have gone throughout families, wiped people out. Verse 34, in such a vessel, any edible food upon which water falls becomes unclean. Any drink that may be drunk from it becomes unclean. Everything on which a part of any such carcass falls shall be unclean. Whether it's an oven or cooking stove, it'll be broken down, for they are unclean and shall be unclean to you. Wow, we have an awesome God. We have an awesome God that loves us so much that he is going to do everything in his power to write down everything we need to know to protect us from the evils of this world long before we have any idea as to why. I want to take you to some other examples of godly wisdom. The men in the Bible had absolutely no way of knowing, short of direct and divinely inspired knowledge when they wrote them. And I want you to look as we compare the dates when the following scientific facts and principles were finally discovered by man as opposed to when God originally informed us in some form or fashion about them. Here we go. According to one chart that I ran across, and again, I'm going to go really fast with these. Go back and watch the live stream later if you need the notes. According to one chart I came across, it was in the 1400s that science finally determined, I don't know how they did it, that humans were the last living thing created. 1400s. Something that God's faithful had known for a fact since the creation account of Genesis. We knew by reading Genesis who the last thing created was, didn't we? I mean, that's common knowledge. Man finally figured it out about 500 years, 600 years ago. Really? That chart went on to say it was in the 1500s Science finally got around to discovering that certain animals carry diseases harmful to man. Something that God had already warned us in reference to some 3,000 or so years earlier in Exodus 11. Wow. You want to tell me again that God doesn't exist? You want to tell me again? That the Bible is not God's divinely inspired instructions? You really want to go there? Internet, you really want to tell me that the Abrahamic religions, that Christianity in particular is a myth? You really want to go there in light of the evidence? I don't think so. Not in my house. In the 1600s, man discovered that it was in the blood of animals that those diseases were carried. Something God had already warned us not to consume some three millennia or so earlier in Exodus 17, prohibition there, do not eat the blood. It was in the 1600s also that science discovered the water cycle. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? The rains come down, the evaporated whole water cycle, right? Whom till the 1600s that they discovered that. <laughs> Something that King Solomon, through divine inspiration, already informed us of about 2,400 years before that in Ecclesiastes 1.7. King Solomon told us about the water cycle. 
out of existence. Approximately 900 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, David wrote about the paths of the seas in Psalm 8 and verse 8. He wrote, now here's a question I got for you. Okay, think of David. Here's David, nearly 3,000 years ago now. How would David know about paths in the seas? I want you to think about that. You know, the Americas weren't discovered until, you know, 1400s by Columbus, as far as Europeans are concerned. So my point is, how would David, way back then, nearly 3,000 years ago now, how would he know about currents in the seas? How is that possible? You want to know how it's possible? God told him. Period. There is no other explanation. Any other explanation defies logic. It was based on that text, Psalm 8.8, 8, that Matthew Maury researched and finally discovered and mapped out several ocean currents about 2,750 years or so later. In 1854, less than 200 years ago, Matthew Maury says, hey, God's word says in Psalm 8.8 8, the paths in the seas. I'm going to check it out. got to be. And many of the, the uh, currents and the way the, that the water moves in the oceans, Matthew Maury is responsible for charting or at least beginning that charting thereof because he read Psalm 8 and verse 8. He said, God said it's got to be. Boy, I wish more people had that attitude. In 1860, it was discovered that 30 to 5 to 3 was the perfect ship design ratio for seaworthiness. <laughs> God told Noah that back in Genesis 6. I'm sorry, I, I can't, I don't want to laugh, I don't want to, I really don't. But come on. I, I, unbelievable. Well, you know, people, people that have read God's word, God's people have known that since Genesis 6. Do the math, it's there. Brother Kyle Bott on Apologetics Press wrote this about this. He said, as it turns out, these dimensions, 30 to 5 to 3, are the perfect ratio for a huge boat built for seaworthiness and not for speed. What is more, shipbuilders during World War II used a similar ratio to build a boat named the SS Jeremiah O'Brien that came to be known as the Ugly Duckman, a barge-like boat built to carry tremendous amounts of cargo. How did Noah know the perfect seagoing ratio to use in building the ark? It is my understanding, based on a study of Genesis 1 through 6, we don't see rain prior to that, do we, in the scriptures? The water came at night, and, and dew came and fell, and that's how the plants grew, right? That's Genesis 1 and 2, right? And so we don't see, so, so imagine for a moment, here's Noah, and we have no record of rain, again, prior to Noah. And God comes and says, Noah, it's going to rain. Now, if I'm Noah, I'm going, it's going to what? It's like when I hear some of y'all southern words down here, I'm like, what did you just say? That's what I read to God, right? So when you hear some of my northern words, like brush your feet instead of put shoes on. Anyway. It's going to what? It's going to rain? What, what is rain? No, I want you to build this boat. I want you to build it this size. This, this He didn't say this ratio, but you can read the instructions there. It is the ratio. So if Noah, if Noah hadn't seen rain to that point, 
simple as rain is to us, how on earth would Noah know the exact specifications to make the ark seaworthy? How Noah wasn't a sailor. How would he know that? You know how he knew it, don't you? God told me. Like I said before, don't stand in my house and tell me God doesn't exist because that's just making a fool out of yourself. God said, that's not my turn. Don't be mad at me. That's God's turn for denying his existence. Modern shipbuilders had many generations of shipbuilding knowledge to use, but Noah's was the first of its kind ever recorded. And finally, this. It was in 1940. And some of these dates may be off a little bit, but this particular chart, because sometimes you can have two people in two different places working on the same research. Within the 1900s, 1940, the science finally discovered, wow, we made this great discovery. There's an infinite amount of stars. We can't count all the stars. Wow. Really? God told us 4,000 years ago that the stars were innumerable. Brother Kyle Butt's conclusion to an article entitled Science in the Bible on Apologetics Press says this. The challenge is a simple one. If ancient humans authored the Bible, it would be filled with all the baggage and mistakes that come with being human. We would find some accurate information, but a noticeable amount of inaccurate information. Due to the rate at which scientific knowledge increases, a book as old as the Bible should be filled with scientific statements that are outdated and have been proven false. Listen, how many times in our schools have the history books been rewritten? How many times have the science books been rewritten? Because something that was believed in 1930, they found out was wrong, and had to change it in 1950. And I'm just pulling dates out of the air here, just to, to make a point. I'm not referring to any specific thing. But, but they keep being updated. It, it, and you know how fast technology's advancing, right? I mean, you buy a new phone today, and tomorrow it's going to be... It, when I bought my new flip phone, man, it was good. I'm just saying. We know how, as we continue to gain more knowledge, we know how things get out of date, but listen, listen again to his statement. Due to the rate at which scientific knowledge increases, a book as old as the Bible should be filled with scientific statements that are outdated and have been proven false. That is not what we find. Instead, we find a series of 66 books that are thousands of years old that contain a depth of scientific accuracy that has never been seen in any ancient writing period. Not only are scientific mistakes completely absent from the Bible's pages, but the writers often exhibit an understanding of the world that was unavailable by human wisdom or understanding at that time. The ancient psalmist, speaking of God's word, wrote in Psalm 119 and verse 160, the entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. 
his assessment was exactly right from the largest of ships to the tiniest of germs, so ends Brother Kyle Butt's conclusion to his article, Science in the Bible. Now, with everything this, that I've said in mind this morning, it is no wonder, therefore, that the old King James Version, the King James Version of the Bible, says this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 20 and 21. Young people, please listen. 1 Timothy 6, 20 and 21, in the King James Version of the Bible, reads as follows. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. What's his point? Listen again. He says, avoid, avoid these foolish babblings. Avoid them all of science falsely so-called. What is science falsely so-called? It's any science that says God doesn't exist. You know what real science is? If that's science falsely so-called, you know what real science is? Real science is simply the discovery of what God created and how it works. That's real science. It's us finally coming along hundreds of years later, if not thousands of years later, and saying, hey, I know how God did that now. I know why God said that now. Red bacteria, that makes sense. That's why he said quarantine all those years ago. That's what real science is. So he says, avoid the science falsely so-called, which, which, he says, this is so key, some professing have erred concerning the faith. There may be some of you in this room. Maybe over the age of 20, maybe under the age of 20, but at some point, if you buy into the lie that this earth is 4.54 billion years ago made, and that's a fact, if you buy into some of the lies that you're being told on the internet and other places, science falsely so-called, you can err concerning the faith, the faith, once, the faith once delivered for all the saints, you can lose your salvation. And, and you don't have to just take a stand over here and say, well, the Bible's right. You can take some of these facts and you can actually go and say, the Bible's right and here's why. See, you've got to have proof for people. But you can go right and say, look, how do you explain this if God didn't tell them? This, this Bible's real because God told them 3,000 years ago about this. Moses, the man of God, both knew and confirmed the reality of God's existence. In Exodus chapter 20, in verse 11, Moses said, In six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. Moses knew. He reiterated in Psalm 90 in verse 2, that before the mountains were brought forth, or ever he had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, he is God. Moses knew. Nehemiah knew. And confessed in Nehemiah 9 and verse 6, You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven. There's no doubt. You have made heaven. The heaven of heaven. 
with all their hosts, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all. Nehemiah 9 and verse 6. Nehemiah knew. Ethan, the Ezraite, knew, and he confessed to God in Psalm 89 and verse 11, the heavens are yours, the earth also is yours, the world in all its fullness, you have founded them. King Solomon knew. Proverbs 3.19, Solomon said, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. So it's no doubt in mind. Isaiah knew. In Isaiah 42.5, he described God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. Isaiah knew. Jeremiah confessed in Jeremiah 10 and verse 12 how God has made the earth by his power. He's established the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens at his discretion. Adding in Jeremiah 32 and verse 17, Our Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. Think about it. all these men in these different times. They all knew. New Testament. Writer of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, said this. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heaven are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. One more, finally, New Testament. Peter knew. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 7, Peter wrote this. Knowing this first that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, Peter says, that by the word of God the heavens were of old. And the earth, standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word. The only reason we're all still here is because God's keeping us here. The only reason that the earth isn't moving too close to the sun so that we're, we all come out like a charcoal briquette is because God is keeping it that way. The earth is being preserved by the word of God. The moment that God says, that's it. Guess what? That's it. End of discussion. But all of these men knew this. Peter continues, they're preserved by the same word, reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Who are ungodly men? Same ones that Paul described in Romans 1 that we talked about at the beginning. Those who deny the existence and the authority of God. Those who deny and reject the divine inspiration of his word. Those are the ungodly men who will face judgment. They are according to the same God. And again, his word, not mine. You can say to me after the lesson's over, Doug, how can you use the word fool to describe people? I'm just reading the word of God. That's what he says. Okay? Those that deny his existence and authority and the divine inspiration of his word, God calls fools. And they will one day have to face his wrath for their foolish denial 
of his existence, of his power, and of his authority. For it is written, Romans 14, 11, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So the choice this morning for each one of us is incredibly simple. It's a choice we need to make over the entire course of our lives. You watching at home, some of you who've never set foot into a worship service with the Lord's Church, some of you here, some of our young people, some of the young people in the church that may hear this from Australia over the next three, whatever. Two choices. Just two. You choose to buy into man's extremely foolish and eternally fatal denial of God. You can accept their foolish theories, even if they state them as facts. You can accept that what God said is a myth. You can, that, that's your first choice. You can accept their fatal theories and its statements and science falsely so-called and spend the rest of your life here as well as your eternity hereafter with those deniers of God. That's choice number one. Choice number two. You can choose to simply believe and obey the infinite and undeniable evidence in the Word of God and submit to the God of the Bible so you can spend your eternity in heaven with others who understood the reality of the existence of God such as Moses, Nehemiah, David, the apostles, but more than anything else, with a God who is truly real, who created this entire universe in six literal days, just like his word says. You can argue it, you can fight it, you can be against it, you can take science and science falsely so-called and try to make it millions of days for one, you do all that, but you know, in the end, there's only one thing that matters. Six literal days, God created the heavens and the earth, and that's the end of the discussion. However you want to fight it, it's not going to change it, because that's what God said. Just trust him. Choice number two, you can simply choose to believe the undeniable evidence and submit to the God of the Bible so that you can spend your eternity with all of those who understood that, and most of all, with the all-loving God of this universe who not only created the universe in six literal days, but formed you in your mother's womb, Psalm 139, 13 through 16, the God who gave his son for you because he knew you were going to mess up and sin, he would rather die on a cross in human flesh than to have you have to face eternity in hell. That's really love. But that is the God who created this heavens and earth in you. And he wants to create you anew in Christ Jesus. He wants to make you a new creation free from your sins. Question, will you trust him to do that? His word tells you exactly how to do that. You must be born again of the water and the spirit. You must hear the gospel. You must believe it. You must be willing to confess Christ. You must be willing to put on Christ in baptism. If you're willing to do that, you can be born a second time, spiritually, created anew in the image of God. 
If you would do that this morning, we'd love to have you do it. If you're somebody here who needs the prayers of the church, we would also love, as his church in the Bible did, to pray for you, to love you, anything we can do to help you get close to this incredible God and creator. But as you leave this building this morning, don't you ever forget to deny his existence, especially based on the facts that are in his word, is the most foolish thing you can do according to that God himself. If you have a need, please come to the front as we stand and as we sing.